Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and this morning we get to cover verses 12 through 21. And it's a tough text, to be honest with you. It's kind of like, you know, the um, ping pong ball that goes back and forth so quick. Uh, I don't know. How many of you like Christian calculus? Out of curiosity, man. Spiritual statistics, anybody here? (laughs) Higher education, anyone here? This is what this text is. It's really, in one sense, tough. and, And then, in one sense, I think it's simple. And so... Let's see how we do in looking at this comparison between Adam and Christ. And basically, in the end, you guys are going to see how Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is everything to us. And I pray we would never forget that. Because it says right here in verse 1, after sharing the salvation of Christ, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus Death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Again, we now come to a section of Romans, which can be a bit confusing, at least for me. I'm kind of mentally challenged anyways. But here Paul provides, really, we're going to see a series of truths so condensed, comparing and contrasting Adam and the man with a capital M, Jesus Christ. And what a difference one man makes. You know, I don't know how your life has been. You know, uh, we meet a lot of people But have you ever met somebody, maybe like one man or one woman, and and they really just make a difference? Usually that's the way it works. Usually there are some people that the Lord just kind of puts into your life that, man, they just, you know, you can just put your finger on them. Their influence, their godliness, their, you know, generosity, their compassion, their love, their wisdom, whatever it is, that one man, that one woman, what a difference they made in my life. And, you know, that can work for the good. It can obviously also work for the bad. There are sometimes there's that one man, that one individual who was abusive, who was wicked, who was awful. And for the evil, for the bad, for that uh, influence in the negative sense, what a difference they have made. And it just breaks your heart. And that's kind of what we see in our study today. That's really the emphasis of what Paul is going to be sharing. He's going to be contrasting Adam. He's going to be comparing him to Christ. And what a difference one can make. And we'll see that today in the primitive man of Adam and in the primary man of Jesus Christ. You know, it's really all about Jesus. You know, it really is all about him. And no one else. The Father points to Jesus. The Spirit points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We're here to point to Jesus. It's really all about Him. And the Bible says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's really all about him. Paul right here in teaching through the book of Romans in verse 11 of chapter 5, he's just been speaking about the reconciliation through 
our Lord Jesus Christ there in verse 11. And he continues to teach about him. But now he does so by comparing and contrasting him with Adam. And so in verse 12, we see that through one man, a man who is identified in verse 14 as Adam, sin entered the world and death entered through sin and thus death spread to all men. We know this as the original sin, the fall of man. It's chronicled in the book of Genesis chapter 3. You know, when God had commanded Adam, he said to him, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, God said, You shall surely die. And so what did Adam do? Well, you guys know he ate, right? Eve was deceived by the serpent. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And there the great offense began, the start of sin, the fall of mankind. And in that fall, we see three steps down, three stages really in human history. And that is right there in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. And then death through sin. And then death spread to all men. And it's an ugly thing. I know we take it for granted now. We see it all around us. But it really shouldn't be that way. Death should not be here. Either the death of a soul or the death of a body should not be. But we see around us so many cemeteries. We see around us today every two seconds someone dies. Another one. And another one. And another one dies. 102 every minute, 147,000 every single day. Why? Because sin entered the world through Adam and death through sin and that death spread to all men. And so I'm sure you guys have heard of this before, you know, but therefore we were born into the Adam's family, right? We all have that sin nature, right? That's who we are. We die. Every day cells die. And so Paul communicates that there in verse 12, the digression, the steps down. And then in verse 13, he kind of begins a sentence that he never really finishes, but he wants to really veer in a different direction because what he wants to do is he wants to make a universal link to Adam. Again, there in verse 13, he says that until the law or before the law, sin was in the world. And, you know, how do we know that? How do we know that sin was in the world? Well, in verse 14, the reason is because death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even though the law hadn't been given on Mount Sinai, people were dying left and right. What that means is that sin was in the world. Verse 14 tells us that cause. As a matter of fact, we read there in verse 14, notice what it says right there. It says that sin or death, notice, reigned. I mean, it ruled. Death was on the throne. We see that there, from Adam to Moses, even over those who it says right there, had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Which means this, that death reigned over all who, even though they didn't disobey an explicit command, like don't you know, eat from that tree, they still sinned. And so they died. Why? Because In Adam, who was our representative or our federal head of the human race, we have all inherited that sin nature. And so we're born into the Adam's family. We sin because we're sinners, not just in practice, but by nature. 
And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to bring us all back to Adam. Death was in the world because people were dying. There is a sin from Adam to Moses. It's always been there. And he wants to bring us all back to Adam. And so, you know, some might even be upset with this man, Adam, that guy, it's all his fault. Or, you know, I know some people even blame it on Eve. You know, it's the woman, man, she's the one who made me do it. And that's, you know, them. But, you know, the the bottom line is this. According to the logic of the Lord, if you would have been there, you would have eaten the apple just like Adam did. I mean, you have a hard time saying no to a cookie, much less a situation (laughs) like that, right? I know how you guys are, right? And so we would have done the same thing, right? And so we know that they fell. It's so difficult to say no to the cookie or no to that piece of pizza or no to the woman that you've fallen in love with and you shouldn't be there or no to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We know how we are. And so what happens? Mankind fell and great was his fall. And Paul wants to link us to Adam, but the cool thing is there in verse 14. Notice what we read there at the end of verse 14. It says, who, uh, the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. You see, we're introduced to Adam, but we're also introduced to Jesus. And what a difference one man can make for bad. But what a difference we're going to see one man makes for good. And that's awesome. When you look at this, we see, first of all, Adam and then Christ is introduced. Now, here we see the New King James calls him a type. Well, the Old King James calls him a figure. The NIV calls him a pattern. And you see, Adam was the first and he failed miserably But the cool thing is there was another, there was a second chance, there was another perfect man who would represent humanity and who would go to bat on behalf of humanity. And this man would not fail. This man is the one that we will focus on today and I pray for the rest of our life, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, first of all, here in our text, we're introduced to Adam and Christ. Secondly, Adam and Christ are contrasted here in verses 15 through 17. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. How many of you got lost right there? I'm just curious. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Christian calculus, spiritual statistics, higher education. But I don't want to go to college. But it's very important. Because you got to know the details of your salvation. Otherwise, you're going to walk around. We're going to walk around. And I know we're going to be defeated, frustrated, discouraged. We're going to be motivated with the wrong motivation. Because really what Paul wants to communicate in the book of Romans is how amazing 
The salvation is that we have. How good God is. How great God is. How loving God is. How patient God is. And then he wants to do with that is he wants to motivate you not to sin. Not because he's going to get you, but because of his grace. You see, I was reading a story about the building of the Golden Great Bridge over the San Francisco Bay. How many of you have been there? I've never... It's, I heard it's pretty amazing, huh? Can you imagine building something like that? Well, during the building of that Golden Gate Bridge, uh, construction fell badly behind schedule because several workers had accidentally fallen from the scaffolding to their deaths. And so engineers and administrators, they couldn't find a solution to all the costly delays, much less the loss of life. And so finally someone suggested that they make a gigantic net and hang it under the bridge to catch any who might fall. Problem was, that would be very, very expensive. But eventually, in spite of the enormous cost, the engineers opted for the event, the net. And so after it was installed, um, it was amazing. Progress was hardly interrupted. You know, there was a worker or two that fell into the net, but they were saved. Because ultimately, all the time that was lost previously due to fear and hesitation was regained by the faith in the net. And that's kind of the way it works with us. You know, we might find ourselves as a church, you might find yourself as an individual, and we're kind of like not where we should be. Why aren't we where we should be? Why aren't we making the progress that we should be making? And a lot of times it's because we're motivated by fear. Not faith. Fear won't get you far. Faith will. Why? There's a net under you. There's God's grace under you. There's God's love under you, on top of you, all around you as a Christian. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there's this amazing grace that covers you in his love. And when you really begin to understand that, when that really begins to sink in, that God loves me, not in light of me, but in spite of me, and that will never change, then it it really does a transforming work in your life. You know, that's what we see here. We see Adam and Christ are introduced, and then we see that Adam and Christ are contrasted, and he shares these contrasts, you know? The first one we read there in verse 15 is between the free gift and the offense. And they're similar in that they come through one man and they have the capacity to spread to all men, but they're not like each other. Number one, the nature of their actions was different. Again, notice there in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now there's a lot there, but one of the things that Paul is trying to share is the difference between the offense of Adam and the gift of Christ. You know, the word right here for offense in the Greek, it's that word paraptoma. And it's speaking of Adam's trespass. As a matter of fact, some of you might even have in the margins of your Bible the word trespass for that verse, verse 16 as well. Adam's trespass indeed was a fall. We call it that. And what Adam did was he deviated from the path which God had clearly shown him. He insisted on going his own way. Christ, on the other hand, who himself was a gift, that's the first gift we read of there, everything he accomplished for us was a gift. 
What Christ did was he lived a life of self-sacrifice and it was completely contrary to Adam. The first man, Adam, he fell. He was selfish. He lived for himself. The contrast here to the offense is the gift, Christ being a gift. Everything he gives is a gift. Why? Because he lived a life of obedience. And so in looking at the two, first thing that Paul compares is the nature, which is so different. The fall of Adam, many died, it says. But the gift of Christ led to a gift from Christ. And Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that many live. That's the gift of life, you see. And so number one, the nature of their actions was different. Number two, the immediate effect was different. It says there in verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And so in verse 15, he really wants to hone in on the nature of the differences. And in verse 16, he wants to hone in on the effects of the differences. As a matter of fact, if you look at the verse right there, notice the word resulted. Resulted. It's twice in our text, twice in this verse. And again, the contrast is communicated. The judgment which came from the one offense ended in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. And so we see in comparing the two and contrasting the two that one ends in condemnation. Now, what is condemnation? Well, in in essence, it, it means guilt. Through Adam, sin entered the world, and that made the world guilty. That's condemnation. But through Jesus Christ, we see the gift, life, resulting, it says, in justification. And so you and I, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it's so important for us to know that it's just as if we've never sinned. We are declared legally righteous in God's sight. It's kind of like this one man said, when a person works an eight-hour day, and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that is a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, well, that is a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that is an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyways, That's a good picture of God's unmerited favor, God's grace. And this is what we're talking about, you guys, when we speak today of the salvation that we have. Through Christ, we are justified. Even though we haven't earned those wages, even though we haven't won that award, even though we haven't earned that prize, you and I, if we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, find ourselves justified as a matter of fact if you look real close at this verse right here notice you guys how amazing god's grace is did you guys catch this look what it says there again in verse 16 and you guys got to look at this for the judgment which came from one offense okay one offense resulted in condemnation but the free gift which came from many offenses results in justification And so the free gift 
came from many offenses. What does he mean by that? Well, the Lord Jesus came, you guys. He was sent to save us offenders from the ramifications of our many offenses. I mean, offensively, continuously. That's who we were rebelling against God. And so, in one sense, the way that Paul looks at this and presents this to us is that these many offenses, these sins of ours, they pulled Jesus to planet Earth to justify us and to make us as white as snow. Through the one offense, I can kind of understand that. Condemnation. Death, judgment comes. But now, when you begin to look at the grace of God that blows you away, it's through the many offenses, our sins, that Jesus Christ came and made us more than Adam ever was. And it just blows you away, you guys. You see, we got to know this. We have to understand this, the way that it works. You know, it's a story, it's a true story, believe it or not. Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town and he was stopped by a policeman and he was charged with speeding. Can you picture Billy Graham speeding? I I don't know why, I just can't do that. But apparently he was. And so he admitted his guilt and the officer told him that he would have to appear in the court. And so the judge asked him, are you guilty or not guilty? What do you plead? And Billy Graham pleaded guilty. The judge then replied, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile you went over the limit. Must have been a long time ago, right? (laughs) And suddenly the judge recognized the famous minister and he said, you violated the law. The the fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. And he took a $10 bill from his wallet, he attached it to the ticket, and then he took Billy Graham out and he bought him a steak dinner. How did Billy Graham get that steak dinner? He broke the law. (laughs) How do you get heaven? He broke the law. Jesus Christ came and made us more than Adam ever was. And as you simply receive him by faith, it just blows you away and the goodness and grace of God. You know, we look at this right here and we see what the Lord is saying. How Adam and Christ were different. We see here their nature was different. The immediate results were different. And then thirdly, we see the ultimate effect of the two actions were different. In verse 17, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more than those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And so he's just trying to share with you these contrasts here. And through the one man's offense, think about this, death reigned. But through the one, Jesus Christ, those of us who receive this abundance of grace, it says, offered through him, who received this gift of righteousness, the Bible says, will reign in life. You see, what God has done is he's taken us. At one time, we were slaves in Egypt. We were in bondage to death. And God has actually allowed us now to become kings. Think about this. Sharing in that kingship with Christ, even under this uh, dominion, seeing death under our feet. 
And one day death will be destroyed. You see, that's where we're at. Jesus said in John eleven twenty six, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And so in looking at this verse right here, I mean, man, what a switch in power from death reigning over us to us reigning over it. It's lost its sentence. It's lost its sting. We've been raised from spiritual death. We no longer fear physical death. Neither do we have reason to fear the second death. Described in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Why? Because we've been given this gift. We've received the gift of righteousness. And it says there that we reign in life. And so God wants to tell us, you know, how rich we are. He wants to give us the divine details of salvation. But I think a lot of times what ends up happening is we don't reign in life. And you know what I mean, you know, Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's our master, you know, and we follow him. He's the king of kings. But in one sense, he's the king of what we could call like a a little king. And you've got little things going on in your life and you've got to make decisions as you sit there on your seat of judgment, so to speak. And how are you reigning? How are you making those decisions? Are they for righteousness? See, we reign in life. Sin no longer has dominion over us. I pray, you guys, that we would live in the life of that, that we would know this. As we read Romans, we see Adam and Christ are introduced in verses 12 through 14. Adam and Christ are contrasted in verses 15 through 17. But then it says right here that Adam and Christ are compared in the remainder of our verses, in verses 18 through 21. And notice what it says there in verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense... Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, we see here, notice the words, as through, even so, it says in verse 18. As by, so also, it says in verse 19. You see, there's a comparison now going on. And the primary point that Paul is trying to tell us now, we just need to come away with the main point is this, that all this happened through one man. That's what he's trying to say, that it all happened through one man. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 11, it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, notice the question that John had, are you the coming one? Are you the coming one? And that's what Paul is answering here. He he is the coming one. Over in the book of Hebrews, it just blows me away. If you read there in chapter 1, it talks about Jesus Christ when he 
conquered death, when he defeated the devil, when he took care of our eternal salvation, it says that he did it by himself. He did it by himself. One man. All devotion, all honor, all adoration belongs to him. He's the one. What a difference the one has made. In verse 18, it tells us justification of life. In verse 19, we were made righteous. But you might be here saying, but Manny, I still sin, and I'm really concerned about that. And I think it's good that you're concerned about that, you know, to a certain extent. But make sure you don't get off balance, because if we have received Jesus by faith then we need to know the book of Romans. And look what it says there in verse 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And that is such good news for us, you guys, today. Because if you understand verse 20, you're not going to abuse it. We're going to see later. Paul's going to talk about this next week in chapter 6. That, okay, you've got all this grace and, you know, go ahead and go and, you know, party and get high and get drunk and do all the crazy things that you used to do anyways. Go ahead and go sin. It's no big deal because, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And Paul says, God forbid, perish the thought, take it out and shoot that concept. That, you know, that's not where this leads. But the fact is, you can't, as a Christian, out-sin the grace of God. And we need to know that, you guys. We really do. Because that right there will change your life. You know there's a net underneath you to catch you. You know there's a father who is compassionate. He's not like us. You know what? I know how we are. I know how I am. And you know, we're trying our best to be like the Lord, but the bottom line is, we are far from him. You know, someone does us wrong, we're right there. We do them wrong. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be forgiving. And, you know, we try our best to have a good disposition towards them. We're not like God. God's not like that. God is just amazing in his grace. And when we understand that, and I know it's a very difficult thing to understand because it goes against the grain of who we are, but when that really sinks in, then you can be a Martin Luther, and you can be an Augustine, and you can be a Corey Ten Boom. And you can be somebody who can really make a difference because you will live your life motivated not by law, but by love. See, that's what we need. You know, I read this story about a husband and a wife. And I guess the husband didn't love his wife very much. As a matter of fact, this man was very demanding. So much so that he prepared a list of rules and regulations for his wife to follow. And he insisted that she read those rules and regulations every day and obey them to the letter. Among other things, his do's and don'ts indicated such details as to what time she had to get up in the morning, when his breakfast should be served, how the housework should be done, and on and on and on. After several long years, the husband died. And as time passed, the woman fell in love with another man. She fell in love with a man who loved her dearly. And soon they were married. 
And this husband did everything he could to make his new wife happy, continually showering her with tokens of his appreciation. And as time went on, you know, they lived just such a wonderful life. And one day, uh, she was there and she was cleaning the house. And she found tucked away in one of her drawers the list of commands that her first husband had drawn up for her. And as she looked it over, it was everything that she was doing now for her second husband. But the difference was this. First it was done motivated by loss, but now it was done motivated by love. And if that's the way that we see what God has done, then we will be where we need to be. And that's what Paul is trying to share. And I know it can be a little technical and you're looking at this and you're like, man, how does this work? And God is just saying, listen, you know what? You need to believe this truth. It's true. Like C.H. Spurgeon said, can you drink the ocean of God's grace? Can you? Anybody here? That's a lot of drinks if you think about it, man. You can run from God but you can't hide. The holy, and they call it the hound of heaven, man. He'll track you down, and he'll do that work. You see, there are no mountain of mess-ups that are too tall for this truth. And there are no sin or sinners that are too bad or beyond God's grace. And you look at this, and it just blows you away. It really does. Because the righteous man falls down. And he falls down, and he falls down. Even the righteous man falls down seven times. But he gets back up. And you sin, and then he covers you with sin. And then you sin again, and he covers you with grace. And you're like, how can this be? How can this be? And the answer is, according to Paul, one man. One man what Jesus Christ has done for us. We learn that repeatedly today through one man. Even we read there again in verse 21, so that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God's grace can rule and reign in our life through Jesus Christ. You know, we saw that truth back In chapter 5, again, notice there in verse 11, if you would, it happens how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see there in chapter 5, verse 11. Even at the end of chapter 6, if you were to go forward, look what it says there in verse 23. It's all done how? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Look over to chapter 7, if you would, the last verse of chapter 7, verse 25. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Read it in chapter 8, verse 39. It's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I mean, you look at this, you guys, and today we see it so clear that through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, judgment, condemnation, men were made sinners. But through one man, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our gift, life, has entered the world. Grace, justification, men and women just like us really are made righteous. 
You see, to be an Adam, you don't need to do anything. I know for a fact, because there are some of you here who don't have a spiritual hunger, that you just belong to the Adam's family. And I don't want to make you laugh about that. You should cry. But if you want to belong in the family of Jesus Christ, you need to be born not just once, but twice. And you need to seek the Lord with all your heart. To be in Christ, it takes more than being born. You must be born again by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and by by being serious in your walk with Him. You know, if I could just put it this way, man, let the Lord Jesus be everything to you. Please. Not your friends, not yourself, not any other person. Today we're here to exalt him. We're we're here, it's all about him. We're here to fix our eyes on him. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but recently there was a poll in America that was taken and Americans were asked who their number one hero was. And you guys want to know who was number one on the list of American heroes? You guys probably know it was Barack Obama. The president was the number one hero after being in office, I think, 40 days. A man who's been president for such a short period of time, whose laws are not only questionable, but abominable. Disregarding the sanctity of life not caring about the way of life, the only way, Jesus Christ. He's our hero. You know, further down on the list, though, there was Jesus. At least I was kind of glad that at least he made the top 10. But it just doesn't make any sense, you guys. Oh, but we're in an economic crisis, Manny, don't you know? And, you know, we're looking to that man and people are looking to that man. But please remember, there's a greater crisis. It's a spiritual crisis, you guys, that has an infinitely more value than that economic crisis. And the one man, and we learn it today, the one man we need to look for, the one man who should be our hero is the God-man. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not very smart. And you guys probably figured that out by now, right? (laughs) But I love it. And I just love it when God makes it simple. Manny, follow him. Follow Jesus Christ. Manny, worship him. Manny, walk with him. Manny, talk with him. Manny, let him be your everything. Because it was through the one man. No other president, no other pastor, no other person. The one man. Jesus Christ, we have life. We have grace. We, have, we reign in life, justification. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And I'm just so blessed by that. And I pray you guys would be blessed by that. As Christians, God teaches us his word. And as Christians, you and I, we need to not only go and live in this, but we need to enjoy it and spread it share with you guys a couple of things real quick in closing. I asked, you know, last week we went over a study and we went over a certain points. And if I was to ask you guys where you live, what would you say? Monte, Temple City, Graceland. Graceland. 
That's where we live, man. We live in Graceland. May we never, ever forget that. Of course, we don't abuse it, but God help us to use it. God help us to let that change our life. It's so important for us, you guys. It really is. You know, right here, we're going to close with a couple of uh, quotes right here. You know, if you're a Christian, then that first one applies to you. The one by Thomas Kempis. It says, they travel lightly whom grace carries. Isn't that cool? I mean, you know, it's so cool. Went to the snow the other day and we got on the little, believe it or not, they have these little belts that carry you up the mountain, man. You just stand there and you go up the mountain. And that's how it works for us as Christians. You stand on Jesus Christ, you stand on grace. He takes you up the mountain, right? But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then this second one is for you. D.L. Moody said, the law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. You might be here today, and you're not a Christian, and you're crooked. And I just mean that in all honesty. <laughs> God is here today because of the love that he has for you. And he can straighten you out, and we can bless your life. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. And Lord, this amazing salvation that I just... It's just too big to fit in my brain. But I know this, Lord, that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I know this, Lord, that through the many offenses, many were made righteous. A justification came. And Lord, I just know that you love sinners. And I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that from this day forward, We can stand in that grace, Lord, and we can just go forward, Lord God, and let that grace carry us home. Bless your church, Lord, I pray. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, who doesn't know you, Lord, if there's anyone here, they came and just for whatever reason, they got drugged here by somebody or they just ended up here. I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here who is still a part of the Adams family, that family of death, that they're not really Christians. And right now, Lord, you would speak to their hearts and that you would just, Lord, bring them to you. Show them, Lord, their need for you because they're crooked, because they're sinners, just as we all are. But they're sinners who need a Savior today. And just in case you're here today and as you guys are just praying, just in case, man, you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you're here today and you've never really made a decision to follow Jesus. And today, right where we're at, we're just going to close this service by giving you an invitation. If you're here today and you want God to straighten out your life, would you raise your hand? Praise God for that hand. Thank you, Lord, for those hands that have gone up. God saw that hand. God sees that hand. God will save you today. It's what it's all about. The most important part of the service. Anyone else, don't be afraid.
Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So God will take you from hell all the way to heaven, but you've got to make a decision to follow him. He'll never force you. He's a perfect gentleman, but he will always ask you. Right now, if you need the Lord, anyone else, just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord God, so much. Thank you. I see the hands that have gone up, Lord. And I know you see those hands, Father. And Father, I just pray that you would work in these lives. We're going to sing a song right now. And this is what I'm going to ask you guys to do. For those of you who raised your hands, you know, whenever the Lord called people, he called them publicly. And um, today, if you raise your hand, as we sing this song, what I want you to do is I want you to come forward and I want you to stand right here. And you make that profession of faith before the Lord and before uh, even everyone just saying, I com- I'm a committed follower of Christ. And you come forward, those of you who raise your hand, you come forward, and anyone else, as we sing this song, if you want the Lord to straighten out your life, so that when you die, you'll go to heaven, so that right now you can know that all your sins are forgiven, I want you to come forward and stand up here. We're going to lead you in a simple prayer. So you come and let the Lord do that work. Thank you.